Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word. <sighs> it's good to be with you. Thanks for, uh, for braving the elements and making it out this morning. It's, uh, you get a, a special badge of honor today for that. Uh, this was uh, the uh, light dusting that uh, we were going to get this morning. Uh, uh, I'm waiting to see what the heavy snow that's coming in this afternoon will be or this evening. Uh, and just quickly, just a little housekeeping element. Uh, over the course of uh, this week, you know, there's supposed to be a couple of different weather systems that come in. We don't really know where that's going to leave us for next Sunday. Uh, and so just watch email, watch social media things, our website. If we have to pivot to all um, uh, online for next Sunday because our parking lots aren't clear or things like that, then uh, we'll let you know that because I think we're not supposed to get out of the freezer until Saturday, so we're really not sure what next Sunday will bring. Uh, but just kind of be mindful of those things. We'll let you know that as soon as we can as the week moves on. As Zoe read, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 this morning, verse 58. Uh, I've been pondering this text for a while, and, and it's kind of one of those things when you are an occasional preacher, uh, as I am, just when, when Cole's out or something like that, and he'll ask me to preach. So when you're an occasional preacher, you start thinking about, what do I want to do next? The next opportunity I have, the next time I, I'm up for preaching, uh, what do I want to preach on? What would I want to have as a topic? And I've been thinking about this passage, but it really got cemented in my mind uh, a couple of weeks ago when Cole really just kind of as a, a passing comment, it wasn't really even a part of his sermon per se, but he made the comment really about uh, trends and culture and things that were going on, and he reminded us at the end of the day, we are resurrection people. At the end of the day, we are men and women of the resurrection, and that is what God has called us to. That's what we have to always remember. And uh, as he said that, I thought, you know, I really want to go into that more, um, and we need, because it's something that we need to remember, and we need to meditate on that, because it's, it's a profound thing. And you know, it may not solve all the issues of, of present reality, and, but it certainly pales them in light of eternal reality, and it, it doesn't necessarily alleviate in the moment any fears that we may have or, or, or things about the here and now, but it certainly uh, has the opportunity to let us know where this is all going and reminds us of where it's going, it reminds us of how this all plays out ultimately, even though in the moment it may not always appear that way. If we take this to heart, if we meditate on a passage like this, it can do tremendous things to our outlook. Because we remember who, not just who wins, but who really has already won. Because he has given us the victory. So that one sentence, that 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight is an incredibly loaded sentence. Now, Cole, who has kind of become the master of two points in a sermon, is going to roll over in his homiletical grave when I tell you that I'm about to hit seven points here, okay? So we're going to go a little there, but it's not going to be seven fully developed sermon points. What I want to do, though, is I, I want to look at seven, maybe we call them characteristics, of resurrection, resurrection people. Maybe we call them um, um, uh, hopes 
or, or um, instructions, exhortations to resurrection people. Uh, that's what we want to look at uh, just for a few moments here this morning. Now, I really want you to understand that 1 Corinthians 15, 58, verse 58, the last verse of that chapter, don't see that as just a tag that is added on to the end of the chapter. Don't see it as a premature benediction that is thrown in before chapter 16 of, of 1 Corinthians. We want, I want you to see this as this powerfully charged application of this entire chapter, maybe even of the entire letter, depending on kind of whose view on that you take. But it's really a, a, an application text, an application verse of, okay, what do we do with this? The, the, um, now, as we go through these seven things, I'll, the first one's the longest, okay? I'll go ahead and just, just don't panic. The first one is the longest. It's not like multiply this one by seven and that's how long you're going to be here. I realize we have to fog the room, okay? And so we, we've got we to gotta have a, a little, little cutoff. So the first one's a lot longer because what I want to do in the first one is what he's doing because the first point is that we are reflective. We need to be reflective. That's number one. Because if we're not reflective, then we, we miss it. And what he's doing, he's calling us as he goes into what's about to be an exhortation, he goes into an admonition to reflect. Now, go back and look. Cole told us a couple of weeks ago that when we see that word like therefore or, uh, or we see a, um, uh, anything that points us backwards, that we need to stop and say, what is this pointing backwards to? And then reflect on that because that empowers and that gives us the ability to, to see accurately and see clearly what it is that's coming. He's about to tell us something and we're only going to understand that. We're only going to be able to grasp that. We're only going to be able to be motivated and inspired in that if we look back at what already has just been said. So he's calling that for a reflection here. And he says, what I'm about to tell you is going to be heavy. I'm going to put a load on you, and it would overwhelm you were it not for everything I've just finished saying. And he doesn't want us overwhelmed by his admonitions. Now, chapter 15 could be multiple sermon series. I wondered, you know, as I was thinking, I thought, if I were going to actually do a series on chapter 15, how many sermons it would take, because it, it covers so much, and it's so rich, and it's so heavy. But what I want to do is just a quick flyover of chapter 15. And as we move into the admonitions of verse 58, understanding that all the other, and I'm not going to touch on a fraction of it, but all the other of chapter 15 is a lot of what is driving us and motivating us and encouraging us as we move in to the admonitions of, of verse 58. Verse 3, where it talks about the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He's raised on the third day according to the Scripture. This book we have, this Bible, lays out for us God's plan for us, lays out for us God's provision for us, lays out for us how God intends for us to walk through and to experience even the hardships of the Christian life with a forward thinking, with looking forward. And he tells us what's going to happen for, with, to Christ and, and with Christ, and he died for our sins. How? According to the Scriptures. 
The Scripture said this was going to happen. This was no surprise that he was buried, that he raised, he was raised from the dead. According to the Scriptures, it was no surprise. The Scriptures had pointed that out to us. And it happened exactly as he said, because the Scripture is supremely trustworthy. We can trust it. We can trust what it says. We can trust that what happens is going to happen according to the Scriptures. It will not deviate from that. Now, our understanding of that may be wrong sometimes. Our understanding of that may be off, and something may not appear to be exactly as the Scripture says, but it's us that is off, not the Scripture that is off. And we need to understand that it's supremely trustworthy. Verse 10 says, His grace was not without effect. The grace of God, the salvation, changes us. It makes us different. I'm different than I would otherwise have been. You're different than you would otherwise have been apart from Christ. And it's because of what Christ did on the cross according to the Scriptures and the transformation that that brings about. You read on down verse 17, 18, and 19, really talks about how sad and how pitiful it would be if this wasn't true. How, if it weren't true that Christ had been raised from the dead, how, how sad and pitiful and, and all death would just be loss. And, and that, that those who had gone before, it would just be a sadness and a loss and a waste of life. And verse 20 tells us that, that he indeed has been raised from the dead, that he's the first fruits of those who's fallen asleep, so that his resurrection is the guarantee and the assurance of ours. You know, all the way on down, verse 42, 43, 44, we find that our earthly body is not as good as it gets. I realize that's hard for you to believe, you know, but it's, this is not as good as it gets because the body that's sown perishable is raised imperishable, and the body that's sown in dishonor is raised in glory. The body that's sown in weakness is raised in power. That's sown natural is raised spiritual. This is not as good as it gets. And he says that we all have these similar earthly bodies in verse 49 that are frail and limited and and subject to disease, but that there's a heavenly body coming. In verse 51, where he promises all of us who are in Christ that we are going to be changed, and he promises us the resurrection. The trumpet's going to sound. The dead are going to be raised imperishable. We're going to be changed. And death lost. Death loses. It doesn't win. And the sting of death, verse 55 tells us, is taken away by this truth. And God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore, in light of all that, take all of that with you as you look forward. Don't forget that. Because if you forget that, you're just desperate. If you forget that, you don't have what you need in order to be able to process through, in order to be able to persevere, in order to be able to hang on, in order to be able to be steadfast and immovable, the things that he tells us and he's going to exhort us to in just a moment. The second thing is, remember that was the longest one, okay? So no more of them are that long. The second thing is that we are in intimate relationship. Part of being a resurrection people is to be a people in intimate relationship. I think it's important to note how Paul addresses these people. Because if we don't, then it's real easy to read this with a hardness to it. It's easy to read it as, 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 you know, this finger-pointing, autocratic kind of, you better do this and you better do that. And that's not the heart behind it at all. Paul addresses them as dearly beloved, as my beloved brothers. My beloved brothers. There's an intimacy, there's a gentleness 
There's a love. There is a, a bringing in. There is a, a drawing in that's involved here, that's intended here. You know, so often we want to, to, um, to read things like this very behaviorally. This is to be our behavior. And we really need to learn to read things relationally as much as we read them behaviorally. I would, I would say to young parents, you know, if I could have a do-over in parenting in any way, it would be to be so much more focused relationally with my kids than behaviorally and to make some changes in, in how we approached that years ago. Because this is not a finger in the face. This is not a, you better do this. Read this relationally. Read this like family. Read this like coming alongside and saying to someone who may be struggling at times with it and putting an arm around them and saying, look, you can do this. I'm here with you. We're going to do this together. I care about you. You're beloved to me. You know, I think one of the things that I miss most uh, about with COVID is touching. I'm a touching person. You know, y'all probably figured that out. I'm, I'm a touching person. And just that ability to come up next to somebody who's, who's maybe sad or maybe struggling, just, just throw an arm around them, you know, and say, man, it's, it's going to be all right, you know, and, and get right up there next to them. And, 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 and now it's like, can't touch you, but I hope you do okay. You know, and, and it's, it's hard and that's difficult because we're made for those close, intimate relationships. So as you read into the rest of this, read it from a relational perspective. Read it from the standpoint of being in community together, walking through these things, not isolated. Because the third thing he says, or the third, third admonition here, is to be steadfast. Now remember, that steadfastness, reflecting back on everything that's said, in healthy relationships, in the midst of all of that, then he gives the exhortation. He says, be steadfast. Remember, in light of everything we said a minute ago, all that Jesus has done on our behalf, all the spiritual realities that are true of us, because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, dear brothers, do this. Be steadfast. Now, that literally means to be seated and established is what that word means. It's the same word that's used in 737 about a very different topic uh, about that's translated firmly established. To be firmly established. Firmly established in what? In the context immediately here on this matter of the resurrection and our future hope as believers. To be steadfast on that. Not to waver on that. Folks, do you understand the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ is under attack, even among Christian in the Christian community. The fact that that was a literal thing, that that actually happened, is not believed by many mainline Christians. And he's saying, I believe he would say to us, be firmly established in that in that context. But it goes beyond that, just of our doctrines and our truths that we hold dear. Future hope that drives everything we do stems out of that. To be firmly established in the reality that he has already given us the victory. Victory is not something we hope for. Victory is not something that, that, that if everything goes well, it'll happen. It's already been secured. It's already happened. It happened at the cross. It happened in the resurrection when Jesus Christ defeated death. He tells us not only to be steadfast, but fourthly, to be immovable. Now, immovable and steadfast are very similar. There are some subtle differences to them. 
It's similar but not the same. It carries the idea of not moving away from God's will, where steadfast kind of has more that idea of being firm and established. Uh, being immovable means has more the idea of not drifting away not drifting to something else, not drifting away from core truth, not drifting away from doctrine. It carries the idea of not moving away from God's, God's will, and, and uh, we may move some within it, but not moving away from it. You've got to bear in mind that these Corinthians, they were a kind of a fickle bunch. And they, for really no apparent reason, were known for moving in and out of a right understanding. And so he's exhorting them, don't move away from, don't, don't, don't drift from that which you know to be true. Paul's desire is that they grasp this sense of the victory that they have in Christ, that they grasp and they're deeply rooted in those core beliefs and core understanding, those things that are according to the Scriptures. Now, let me give you a word of caution about these ideas of steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable does not mean stubborn, closed-minded, unteachable, or intransient. That's not what steadfast and immovable means. Because the fact of the matter is, we need to always keep learning. We need to continue growing in our understanding. And sometimes our understanding of things may change. It may be clarified. It may be enriched. It may be deeper. We may actually change on some nuances of doctrine. I, I know I certainly have in, in the 50 years or 45, how many years? 50 years almost that I've been a believer. Uh, I've certainly changed and moved a little bit in some of the nuances of my understanding, but not in the core doctrines of my understanding. You know, a former senior pastor here told me one time about a conversation he had with someone who had been upset with him because he felt betrayed because during candidating, this person had asked the pastor a very specific question about his beliefs. And later, that pastor gave a view contrary to that position. And he came to him and said, I, I feel like you've betrayed me. I feel like you've let me down. And, and I'm angry about that. And there was a hurt there. Uh, and the pastor said to him, said, I'm sorry, I heard you, but I've, as I've continued to study, as I have allowed the Spirit of God to, to teach me and speak to me, I've changed my position on that. I've changed my view. I see it differently now. And that's going to happen. And that's not, but, but not drifting from the core fundamental truths of, of the Scriptures. In other words, we may drift, we may change our view, we may begin to move a little bit more Calvinistic or, or a little more Arminian, but we, we remain steadfast and immovable in the reality that salvation is by grace through faith. And we may move a little bit in our understanding of, of eschatology, and we may lean a little bit this way and, and then learn something different and, and, and move a little bit different in, in terms of our eschatology, but being steadfast and immovable that Christ is going to return, that the dead in Christ will be raised, and, and that we're going to be changed. When we do discover first of Ann class that, that many of you have been through, you know, one of the things we always talk about when we go through the doctrinal statement is please pay attention to what is not here as much as you pay attention to what is here. Because there are things that the founding fathers of this church intentionally and deliberately did not put in our doctrinal statement. 
because there was room for some variety. There was room for some breadth in understanding on those issues. Everybody didn't have to be exactly the same on those issues. There was room for some, some diversity in the understanding of that. And so some things were not included. But be steadfast and immovable on those core truths, those core doctrines. And fifthly, and this one sounds kind of weird, be excessive. Now, I realize that word is not a word we're always comfortable with, excess. To be excessive in something, it's, it brings some discomfort to us. There's negative connotations to that. It doesn't necessarily fit today's narrative of such an emphasis on balance. But he says, I really tried to find another way to, to wiggle out of what always abounding meant. But if you actually study it, and the more I studied it, the more I couldn't wiggle out of the fact that it really means to overdo or exceed what's required. That's what he's telling us. He's saying, overdo it. You know, we, we tend to say, don't overdo it. But he's saying, overdo it. But overdo the right things. Exceed the requirements. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Wish we had more time to, to kind of unpack that. You know, Romans 12 talks about outdoing one another. Suffice to say, lest we think faithfulness to God is only about standing our ground, and that that's all that being faithful means is to, to stand our ground and, and reinforce our barricades. No, folks, it's also about charging the ramparts. It's also about wave after wave of, of going after and, and being aggressive in reaching a world for Christ. You couple that idea of excess with the idea of the sixth word, your labor is not in vain. And the word for that is exhausting. That's really what it's saying. Exhausting. Because the word for labor here is not just the word for our daily work. For, for going to work and doing our job and, and doing the labor, but it's, it's the word that really means to toil to the point of exhaustion. But we just need to be sure that we're exhausted in the work and not of it. Because when we become exhausted of it, a lot of times it means that something's off. It means that maybe we're doing it in our own strength. Maybe it means that it's just a, a toxic environment in which we're trying to do it. It might mean that the work is, is the wrong work for us to be doing. But the idea is that we are, and again, contrary to so much of what we hear, but we are to be willing to exhaust ourselves in the work of the Lord, in it, but not of it. And the last word is the word confident. In the midst of all of this, Says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Knowing, confidence, having an assurance that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Even though there are times, trust me, I do this for a living. There are times it seems in vain. There are times when it seems like, why are we doing this? Why are we bothering with some of these things? But we know there's to be a confidence, an understanding that in the Lord, important phrase, in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. Take it in the context. Take it in the context of everything we've talked about. Go all the way back. Just, if we just say the context is chapter 15, 
going all the way back and as sure and as certain as Christ be raised from the dead, your kingdom work is not in vain. And as sure and as certain as, as Christ be raised from the dead, your steadfastness to remain established in the Lord is not in vain. And as sure and as certain as, as Christ be raised from the dead, you're rooting yourself deeply, becoming immovable in the core realities of Christian faith. It's not in vain. And as sure and as certain as Christ be raised from the dead, you're overdoing, overflowing, exceeding the requirements in the work of the Lord is not in vain. And as sure and as certain as Christ be raised from the dead, your weariness, your exhaustion in kingdom work, it's not in vain. Now, I'm not a prophet. I've discovered that just about everything I predict doesn't happen. Uh, the best way in the world for you to have a long time at the grocery store is to get in the line that I chose. Uh, because, you know, it could be the shortest line, but I get in it and, you know, the, the person goes on break or can't find their credit card or, or, or something happens. Uh, I, I am certainly no prophet, and I am really lousy at predicting things. Uh, I've learned with this whole COVID thing, everything that I said was going to happen didn't. And everything I didn't think would happen did. But I do think that the Christian life is going to get harder to live in some ways. I think in the culture that we in, we're in, it's going to get harder. It's going to be more difficult. It's going to be more challenging to live out our Christian faith. I also think that opportunities, though, are, are going to be greater than they've ever been. I believe, that, at least for a while, that culture is going to be less friendly toward the church and toward Christianity in some ways. Don't know how that's all going to play out. But I also believe that that has the potential to make us purer and stronger than we've been maybe most, if not all, of our lifetimes. You know, we pray for revival, but I've seldom really seen revival come in the lap of luxury and comfort. It usually comes in the face of adversity. It usually comes in a time of difficulty. And as sure and as certain as Christ be raised from the dead... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We don't earn it. We don't somehow achieve it. It's given to us through Christ. It's given to us through his work on the cross. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. And that his resurrection secures ours. And that we are not to be pitied. That we have been given the victory. And because of that, and because of what Christ has done for us, because of Christ conquering death, his dominion 
over death itself. Because of that, we can be steadfast. We can be immovable. We can always abound, even to the point of excess and exhaustion in your work, because it's not in vain. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.